0: Welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast, where the personal, professional, and political intersect. Each week, we cover a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's special episode, we're chatting with the Honorable Bob Ray. And I can't wait to get started. So I'll just do it. I'll say, I'm Mike Anderson.
1: And I'm Darlene Tanelli.
0: Hi, Darlene.
1: Hi, Mike. Big day. Big day. Very exciting.
0: We're about to speak to somebody. You uh, spent some time with him when you were an associate. Is that correct in the same office?
1: Uh, Yes, associate and articling student.
0: And I shared a very important coffee when I was uh, just finishing articling with this gentleman, the Honorable Bob Ray. You know, this is, this is somebody I'm very excited to introduce. And Darlene, is it okay if I just uh, start now? Go for it. Okay, so here's the deal, everybody. Bob Ray is woven into the tapestry of Canadian life. He's a steady hand, a vision of sharp intellect, a champion of diversity and equality. He embodies the Canadian mentality. To be fair, passionate, and strong when challenged, and he's been well recognized for this. He is vested in the as an officer in the Order of Canada. He uh, is in the Order of Ontario. He's a member of the Queen's Privy Council for Canada. Queen's Council in 1984. He's awarded the Queen Elizabeth II Golden Jubilee Medal in 2002 and the Diamond Jubilee Medal in 2012. Premier, a party leader, but at one point he was a paperboy. And years after that, he was a law student, presumably just trying to figure things out as we all did. And now he's an advocate, a grandfather, an envoy, a husband, a father and counsel. So today on LLP, we will speak with one of Canada's most well-respected and regarded leaders about the personal, professional and political intersections in his own life. And with that, we are so grateful and humbled to welcome to the podcast, the Honorable Mr. Bob Ray. Hello, sir.
2: How are you?
0: We're 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 doing very well, and how are you on this on this Friday?
2: I'm very good. Uh, it's, it looks like we're going to have the last almost the last warm day of fall today, so I'm uh, feeling upbeat.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose we all are, and and thank you again for uh, for hopping on here, Darlene. Um, how would you like to start things off with Mr. Ray today?
1: Well, first, I'd like to say part of the reason we've asked Bob Ray to be on this podcast is that both Mike and I are authentic fans, uh, true fans. And we've also discovered that some of the other Interalia lawyers, when we mentioned that we would be interviewing Bob Ray, they were very excited. One of them actually had a poster of Bob Ray in his room (laughs) growing up. So he was maybe the most excited that we would be interviewing you. Um, I'm most excited, though, because I think Bob Ray exemplifies so much of what we talk about on this podcast. So, um, my own personal experience with you bob is that you have a very strong life outside the office and a commitment to public service. So can we start there maybe talk about how you've managed to keep a strong family life while you're practicing law and doing very important political things?
2: Well, i think uh you know it's true. I mean, one, one of one of the speeches i gave at a university years ago to a to a law class i i said to them i said you're your most important hours are going to be non billable, <laughs> and right. I think if we don't have that perspective we're we're kind of cooked because uh we all know that uh, you know our careers can take over and uh, uh the the pressures of business can take over and and many people are working in uh settings that are uh very controlling and and all encompassing uh and I think particularly for uh for younger lawyers but not just for younger lawyers uh it's tough because you're you know you're judged according to well you know how how devoted are you to the firm or to the practice uh you know how how many hours are you really prepared to sacrifice and i think for a lot of people starting out uh it is overwhelming and it it is hard for people to find uh the balance and it's also hard for people to fight back against firms which you know which have frankly bad cultures and just don't uh encourage uh people to work outside. My life has been a little different from most lawyers. I I mean I started out as a as a as a, uh, a fairly late in law school because I did a bunch of other stuff before and I I I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life, so I I went in I kind of put my toe into law school when I was uh, 26 and which is a little older than most of the law students and and um, enjoyed it, although it was a challenge the first uh, <laughs> the first few weeks uh, as I sort of got back into the swing of, of 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 studying. And even there, I kind of because I'd been through grad school and done a bunch of other stuff, I didn't really feel that I wanted to you know compete for the prizes or anything. I just you know wanted to be there. And I was I was working part time going through law school, so even at law school, I was uh, you know I was uh, I was constantly you know st- taking a step back and and taking a step away to get some perspective on it um and then i i, I, I articled with a firm uh and was called to the bar but i, I almost immediately went into uh, went into politics and um got elected when i was very young so you know that was a uh, a different life and then i got married almost at the same time and we had a baby a year later Uh, And I have to say that um, my my family life, my wife uh, Arlene, uh, you know, has always had a a perspective of saying um, almost the same thing. I can remember when I was, you know, very disappointed when when I was became fully aware of the fact I wasn't going to get reelected as premier. She said, "Look, you know, you're going to have to get used to this because most of your life you're not going to be premier. Whether you win or you lose, most of your life you're not going to be." at the top of the heap in in Ontario politics so get used to it uh figure out a way to gain some perspective so and you know more more children followed and um we've had uh you know tragedies in our life like like everybody has had um Arlene's parents were were killed in a in a car accident um in 1985 Um, I lost my younger brother to cancer four years later and I think both those Losses had a lot to do with with my perspective as as premier, uh, and and uh, ever since it's it, it just you just can't pretend that you know that what you're doing is is everything, um, and I think I've always I mean I'm sure a psychiatrist would have something to say about it, but I've always taken a step back from just about everything that I've been doing and uh, tried to assess it as I'm doing it and. I, I think well, one of the things that I know is that the anchor in my life is is not my law practice. The anchor in my life is my family. And uh, that, I think, is what makes the difference.
1: Um, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. But I also think that that's kind of rare. And I think that um, as lawyers, when we talk, of there's a lot of discussion of work-life balance. And to me, the implication there is always sort of that life is supposed to fit in around work. I mean, I think one of the reasons I find you inspiring is just that it is very clear that your work and your life are very intertwined in a fluid way that is maybe the future. And maybe that goes to another um, topic that we wanted to ask you about, which is that you always seem to be looking ahead. And um, I think that the way that you're describing your family life, if you've operated that way since the 80s, is very forward thinking. How did you How did you know to do that?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's, again, that's those are lessons that have come on me. I mean, I, I knew um i guess when i when uh, you know the events in my life i mean my my big defeat was well i didn't expect to become premier but when i did become premier i after the first year which was which was tough, difficult emotionally and, and and politically uh i kind of settled in and said i i i you know i'm going to do this job the best i can uh and and then we'll see what happens but i i did not uh you know when i was defeated and i was 47 and at that point, I knew that you know my life was going to go on, and and I needed to figure out, you know, what was what were the next chapters going to be. Um, and I think you know one of the things I realize now is I'm getting older. I'm now 70, um, and you know when you turn when when these they've ever said these are just numbers. You say yeah, but you know they you know <laughs> they still have they still have an effect on you. So uh, going forward, uh, if you don't think. If you don't think forward, if you don't think ahead, or think, or, or remain curious or remain interested, um, you're done. I mean, uh, at that point, you just become, you, know, you just get old. And 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 I think it it was George Bernard Shaw who said, you know, it's not that you're too old to play; it's that you're you're getting old because you have stopped playing. And I, I think you've got to keep playing, uh, and you've got to keep looking ahead and keep thinking, and that's what keeps you going. I mean, I one of my real role models <laughs> the guy the, the former president of of Israel a guy called Shimon Peres I used to see him whenever I was in Israel and whenever he would come here we would get together and he's a remarkable guy and the last conversation I had with him he was you know he was well into his 90s or late 80s uh and he was talking about you know brain science and uh, you know all kinds of issues technology middle east peace and you know everything he could think of And I came away from that conversation saying, I want to be like that when I'm 89 or 90 years old. I mean, that's what I want to be able to do is just keep on thinking and not talk about, well, you know, when I was 42, I did this and then I did that and then I, I, and you get the, a bad case of the I, I, I's, you know, which is never healthy.
0: So you've mentioned you know, constantly looking ahead and and I think perspective is an interesting focus uh, of yours. and I think that folks practicing, especially folks in early practice, it's hard to have perspective when you have all this work uh, and stress in front of you, right and getting um you know getting kind of lost in the in the weeds a little bit so what is what is your recommendation for folks to to be able to pull yourself back. I think you've said those words a few times, you know, get some perspective. And even though you might have this challenge that's in front of you to, um, you know, keep your values in mind and to to keep your family in mind. And how were you able to do that? in, you know, in presumably really difficult situations, um, you know, when you were premier and further on in your political career?
2: Uh, well, it wasn't easy. I mean, I don't want to pretend that, uh, you know, everything I say now is, is what I was able to practice. I mean, um, I... Uh, i you know I, I occasionally was felt overwhelmed by uh the stress and uh found it found it difficult to share the load with people which um uh made it hard for me uh, emotionally and and i think um made it hard on the people around me because I was you know bottling stuff up uh, and i think you've you've got to learn how to do that you've got to learn how to share you've gotta learn uh how to keep yourself physically well uh and mentally well uh and in my case uh being physically well and mentally well has meant um either at the beginning of the day or the end of the day or during the day um taking time away i mean just you know just <laughs> go off and you know start the day reading a book have, a, have another project that you're interested in um either with your family or you know on your own uh that 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 is not your work uh, that is just something different uh because if you become your work um then everything else becomes secondary, and um life is miserable for them and and life is miserable for you and uh, and and in the end um you know work can never provide the emotional recompense that uh that we all need i mean you're never going to get perspective just from work that that isn't going to happen you you've got to find other ways to get that and um and you've got to recognize that uh, the reward system in your firm uh may not may not reward you for that but frankly you have to be prepared to say well that's okay i i i accept that and i think ultimately the most successful law firms are places that understand that the culture they're creating um has to be better than just a just that of a, of a of a time factory
0: yeah one thing i you know that i'm working on doing is making sure as you've said you know having that side project that thing you're passionate about you know i still doing my best to get involved in my local community in, in a number of different ways and um making sure that you know i feel like i'm a, of service in ways that are outside of just practicing law. i know that you know you've obviously showed your dedication to service uh through you know really as you've said since um, you know, you graduate law school, moving right into public service. What drives that for you? How? Why is this the thing that you've dedicated so much time to?
2: Um, I don't know exactly. Um, I think it's partly, uh, you know, what I grew up with. Uh, I mean, my dad, my mom, and dad were were very committed to public service. I mean, they were part of a generation where, you know, going to work for the government, you know, during the war um engaging in, in uh, you know doing what you were asked to do and and doing going where you were asked to go and just you know not not fretting about it um uh, and doing stuff for others was just part of of how they lived their lives i mean that was what i what i grew up with so it it wasn't a matter of you know well, what else could, you know even even you know people who go into business or who you know want to make a lot of money uh when you when when you grow up with that you you also understand that well that's gonna come with certain responsibilities and and uh other things you have to do and i and i i don't want to sound like i'm not remotely saint like I, mean, I, <laughs> I mean i i mean as as my family and friends know i have many many faults and uh uh I, you know that's just that's just a reality but i i do believe very strongly that Uh, that you help other people that you you other people are in trouble and and you help them and uh, I think one of the one of the things that's tough when you do that is understanding that it's not easy to help people and uh, that there are limits to what you can do and uh, that that you've you know you've got to be emotionally invested uh, in in perspective I mean how, how do people who are uh, you know help people who are deeply traumatized or uh, how do they how do they do it best they do it best by keeping their perspective not by you know becoming totally emotionally invested in one thing or another and then the latest you know challenge that i've been facing publicly is mm-hmm. the rohingya crisis um i mean you, when i first went to the refugee camp i just said holy you know my goodness god what this is just horrendous and then you can become overwhelmed by it and And then you realize that, well, if I become overwhelmed by it, then I'm not going to be doing any good as an advocate. Uh, I'm not going to be doing any good as trying to explain to to governments and to the public what's going on. Uh, So the best thing I can do is to remain as disciplined as I can. And there are sometimes people will say, I think many people who know me, who have seen me work, will say, well, you know, you you look a little distracted. And I said, well, yeah, but if I got totally Overwhelmed by this thing, or if I just got right into the moment of it every every second, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to function, uh, and I think that's true for a lot of people who are involved in in uh, service in some way. I think you have to keep your perspective all the time uh, because it, it, otherwise you, you you're you're no good to anybody.
1: Well, we write about that. Uh, we we both talk about it on this podcast and write about it on a on a blog that. We um that we do with interalia, but the idea being put your own oxygen mask on before helping others kind of situation. Yeah, um, right. and very much, you know, I appreciate you saying the comments about not being a saint. I also think um that's true for everyone, obviously. But I think in our profession, there is this real, you know, uh, drive to have a facade and pretend like nobody um makes mistakes or has has flaws, and that that's somehow, um detracts from our ability as, as professionals whether it's on a a file or our ability to help in public service and i just don't think that's accurate i think that the the one of the reasons that it's so um interesting what you've achieved throughout your career in all different faucets is that yes you know every you talk about not getting reelected. i mean that's a difficult thing to go through but it didn't slow you down at all. I mean, you're still moving along, doing all kinds of things and taking that learning and putting it into new um, new, and also helpful situations. And I think for us, we are hoping to kind of get more people talking about those moments and with a view to making ourselves better as opposed to just kind of saying, you know, I, I read recently, I think actually in your book, which I was reading in preparation for this podcast called uh, What's Happened to Politics?, um, and you say, you know, you quoted uh, an Israeli business person who said, failure is an event, not a person. And I found that really helpful. I thought that was a really great quote. And I think a lot of lawyers um, sit in our offices and live in fear of like, oh, God, what if I make a mistake? It's like, well, if you make a mistake, you'll, you'll learn. Um, I don't know. I think, I think that, that that candor is very refreshing and necessary to improving our our profession
2: yeah i i do believe that i do believe that um it uh you know we do have a fear of failure which which often makes people afraid to to do what needs to be done afraid to go forward um and um i mean obviously failure has its consequences uh in terms of you know sometimes bad things happen or you know you, you, you do i mean in my life um most many of my failures have been very public um you know not you know not getting reelected and and or whatever or or doing something in office that people didn't like or you know initiating something that uh, didn't work out whatever you, and and so um people will will often you know and, and if i took every negative comment i see on facebook or twitter you know saying bob ray you're a failure you know get off the stage go away don't you know hang your head in shame for the rest of your life you know if i were to do that then that would be fatal you can't let other people determine um how you go forward at the same time you have to listen to people it's a it's a fine balance because you don't want to be insensitive to criticism then you then you stop learning <laughs> then you stop saying well i accept that criticism it's a good criticism and i have to change uh or i have to make amends for for the mistakes that i've made um mm-hmm. and and you know, you can't have a life without remorse. I mean, I mean that's terrible. Uh I think I think of one or two people in public life today who don't ever show signs of remorse or regret or apology or admission of failure or weakness and and I I think it's appalling what what happens when that happens to people and and what happens to politics as a result of people feeling well that's how you have to be. Um and I, and I do, but do believe that that's a terrible uh, failure. I also think it's 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 important not to embrace failure to the extent that you that you let that define who you are. And um, even people who've done bad things and who've gone to jail or or, or or have you know suffered you know real punishment as a result of what they've done, I've always admired people who embraced that. Said yes, that that happened. Uh, but that's not going to define who I am for the rest of my life. And uh, people who are able to uh, show that degree of um, of resilience uh, without embracing, you know, denial, um, I, I think are admirable. I think that's that's something we should we should all try to emulate.
0: What you've been speaking about, what you we know, the shift that we see in the political realm. You know, we often talk about the show how politics and the practice of law often can line up. Um, and so you know I know that you're you've been a great champion both in the way that you've um, you know conducted yourself and and from um, things you've said and written about uh, civility and respect and authenticity um, and just general character and so what what do you see now you know you've spoken a little bit about the shift politically what what do you see occurring um, you know in these times? Uh, when it comes to character of our leaders, and 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 even those in the practice, if you see anything there, and what is the danger if we're shifting away from these, you know, this this past of civility and respect, and 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 upstanding character?
2: Well, I, I mean, I think in the age of relativism, which we're in, in many respects, I think there's a tendency to um, forget uh, certain enduring uh, values and 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 qualities, and. I think there's a tendency to think well, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can get away with. Uh and uh if I can get away with it then there's nothing wrong with it. But I think you know we all understand that uh, you know that character is is all about what you do when no one's looking. Um and you you know when you when you are facing an opportunity to do something bad, you you turn away. Um and if you don't you 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 then it then affects your your character, um, and maybe only you know about that. Maybe only you know the the moments you've you know you've given in to to doing something you shouldn't have done. Uh, but I I do think that in my life um, uh, I've come to appreciate people um, who have wisdom, and the wisdom that they have is based on uh, experience, often based on uh, failure. Uh, people who are often, you know, the wisest are people who say, "Well, don't do what I've done, uh, or don't do this because that that then has, you know, other consequences." Uh, but on the other hand, they, they've shown real, uh, real capacity for for education and for learning and for f- figuring out how to go how to go forward. Um, I think I think a lot of the people that you know, there's this big difference uh, between character and reputation um and and i think we all know people who have a great reputation but when you actually n- get to know them and see them up close you sort of say where did that come from i mean you know this there're lots of signs where you just say that's not consistent with with other things that they've done in the law and in politics uh we you know we have all uh fallen i mean we've all failed at some point i mean i i have been uncivil at times in my political remarks commentary uh behavior uh and whenever it's happened i've always said eh not so good you know that wasn't really that wasn't really the right thing to say or do um and the same thing's true in in the law i mean you you, you sometimes you you say things to people in the middle of a case or middle of litigation you lose your temper uh you engage you know you do something impulsive um and generally speaking, you know, impulse is not, is not a good is not a good guide. Uh, uh, you know, there's a difference between impulsive behavior and, and what I call consequential behavior. Be, you know, behavior that says I'm I'm doing this because I know to do the opposite would have bad consequences. And we live in a time and a technologies where uh, impulse is rewarded. I mean, t- Twitter is is a classic case. Twitter is an impulsive medium you respond on impulse facebook can be equally impulsive and so there's very little room for second thought i mean uh, to give you a practical example i can remember in in uh, one uh, law firm where i worked uh, uh the managing the senior partner was was known for being a, a real character uh and being fairly impulsive and saying things and and uh, uh often you know regretting it later uh, and, and in the days when lawyers had secretaries or assistants, he had a secretary who, who he would dictate a letter, and she would not send it because she knew that <laughs> that isn't what he would want to say the next the next day or four days later. And so he'd say, "You know, where the hell's that letter?" And she'd say, "Well, I've got it." He said, "Let me have a look at it." He'd look at it, and he'd say, "Well, I can't say that," and she'd say, "Exactly. That's why we haven't <laughs> sent it out yet." same uh, him. <laughs> what?
1: She saved him.
2: I <laughs> say she saved him. Well we don't have we don't have those things now. Now it's all Twitter or mm-hmm. it's it's emails. And and how many dumb emails have lawyers sent out to other to other lawyers saying you know you sort of say, why would you send that in an email? But the reason is because the technology is so simple. It's not a reflective, consequential technology. It's an impulsive technology. And so we give into it uh by writing dumb things in an email or saying dumb things in a Twitter uh and so we live in a world where most of our dumb thoughts are in print (laughs) which is not (laughs) a good thing
0: (laughs) yeah a good thing to stay away from is putting the dumb thoughts in writing that's a
2: (laughs) well but we do it everybody does it now and then they and then of course people realize these things have footprints right i mean the no no emails ever disappear they go into some ether but they're around and Mm -hmm. they, they come back and they get you um and i and i think that's that's the nature of the world in which we're now living, which is which is a different world from from which you know existed before the technology.
0: And all this aligns with gaining perspective, being a bit outside of what you're currently experiencing. You know that that you know that anger you might feel from opposing counsel, and taking the step back and not writing the email or responding to somebody on Twitter. You know the the general thing I'm I'm, I'm getting from you, which I'm, I'm, I'm definitely appreciating, is building a bit of space between what you're working on or what you're feeling and actually your action after that.
2: I, you know, I think when you're a lawyer in particular, you know, what is it that, that your clients are looking for? And, and in some cases they're looking for somebody who will do what they want you to do, um, which is never a good relationship because then you're just, you know, you're just a blunt instrument in somebody else's game plan. Um, But I think what they're looking for, you hope what they're looking for occasionally, is judgment. And sometimes being a lawyer means telling your client, I'm sorry, you can't do that, or uh, I don't think that's a good idea for a whole variety of reasons. I mean, you can say, well, you can't do that because it's illegal. But you can also say to them, I don't think that's the way to carry on this discussion because it's not going to get us to where you you really want to be. And I think the best lawyers that I've worked with over the years – have been people who had really good judgment and really good perspective, and that's ultimately what their clients were looking for. You know, clients are not always looking for that, and sometimes they are just looking for a blunt instrument, and and that often is is what leads to, uh, I think, um, poor poor results and and bad behavior.
1: We talk a lot about bad behavior on this podcast because both Mike and I have little kids. <laughs> sort of oh, yeah. Mike has a Mike has an adventurous dog, Rosie, that's a recurring player on this podcast as well. <laughs> um, but I, I think that one of the things that that I have observed for sure and is part of why we think it's important to talk about this stuff, is that that wisdom, you know, we live in a world of constant information. Um, it used to be that lawyers were a bit more gatekeepers of information, and you know, read a case, give a give an opinion, and so much of of what law is now, depending what type of law you're doing, obviously, but a lot of it is just having this cultivation of of wisdom around the dynamics in play, right? So, um, ego. Um, you know, narcissism, <laughs> you know, some of these traits that we're seeing play out in, in public life, they come up in, in cases and files as as lawyers. And it's partially, I think, um, managing what I call vibe is a, a big part of negotiation. Mike and I do a lot of commercial negotiation. Um, and that that's a piece of what we do. And we have to work outside the office on getting good at those things. So um, one of the things we talk about a lot is, you know, what books are we reading? What music are we listening to? What is, what's keeping it real for us? So I would be interested. I know we're coming up against the end of our time and I could tell from reading your book that you read a lot and you mentioned it in this podcast. What are you reading now?
2: Um, well, I'm reading the uh, right now, I'm reading the uh, five finalists for the Giller prize because uh, the Giller Prize has always been an important sort of uh, anniversary in my life. The founder of it was a very close friend of mine who died last year, and uh, I've been, you know, he, he, his passing was a source of great sadness to me. But I've always been involved in the prize and and uh, helped helped the Jack Rabinovich as he was building it up. Uh, and I'm always been interested in reading, so uh, I I read the the five novels i i won't tell you which one i think should win uh but i'm enjoying reading them and discussing them with friends um and uh, that's that's part of what i do i'm also reading in part because i'm writing another book uh which is uh in in uh in in, in, in it has to, has to be done either early in the morning or late at night uh so you know you can't just write something without reading something so i i'm reading on issues around uh, around that around you know what's going on in the world today so i've been reading about uh, dare i say it've been reading about mr trump and i've been re- reading uh, uh books about uh, recent history and and uh um Reading a book on the, the decline of democracy in Germany before uh, 1932 and and uh, how how the rise of Hitler happened and reading you know other other books that perhaps have something to tell us about the world that we're currently living in. I'm doing a lot of reading of both novels and and uh, and reports and nonfiction books about uh, Myanmar and uh, the Rohingya crisis, which has given me a sense of background and perspective on on what's going on there. Um I listen to all kinds of music. I have lots of uh interest in music. I I like popular music. I I I can't say that I know much or care much about contemporary music, although I did enjoy watching Lady Gaga in in uh A Star is porn. That was fun. Um, <laughs> and uh so I and I and I love classical music too so I spend a lot of time listening to that in the car.
1: Well I told Mike that you were an accomplished piano, piano player, and he was surprised. I don't know that everyone knows that about you
2: <clears throat> well, I grew up in a very musical family my dad was a was a great musician and a very talented uh piano player He wouldn't call himself a pianist he'd say i'm a piano player uh I feel the same way uh and uh he could play he, he had a very he could play by ear he couldn't read music but he played by ear and I learned how to uh, how to play by ear and also how to, how to, uh, how to read music. So I've enjoyed that. That's been a good, a good, uh, very good outlet for me and also taught me a lot about um, appreciating talent in others. Um, you know, when I was, I guess I was about 13 or 14, I went to a, you know, one of those music, con- you know, music, you know, recitals and, and I very quickly realized that there were, a lot of a lot of people who were way 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 more gifted than I was, so I I kind of you know I realized at that point that I was is not heading to Carnegie Hall anytime soon. So that was a good perspective to have.
0: And maybe we can. Uh... Ah, it ah, uh, off on that again, referencing perspective. But before we before we go, and I just wanted to uh, reiterate again about five and a half, six years ago, you got a coffee with me when I had just finished my articling and I was going into the professional world, and it uh, was a conversation I'll never forget. And equally, uh, I feel like you just uh, kind of boosted all of the. Uh, the vigor that you gave me at that point uh, again with this conversation. So we're so appreciative and I know that our, our listeners will be very appreciative to, to be able to get some tidbits that we can all implement into our lives to become more fulfilled and and happy. So thank you very
2: much. Thank Thank you you. guys. I enjoyed it and uh, really appreciated the the chance to, the chance to chat. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye now.
0: The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law, Experienced Legal Counsel when and where you need us. To learn more about Interalia, visit the website at spoutin i n t e r a l i a lawcom Thank you.
1: Okay. Shall we do our goods and gripes? I would like to start with a Bob Ray-related
0: good. That's a good <laughs> idea to start a goods and grapes, Tarlene. What is your Bob, Bob Ray related good?
1: Well, just first of all, as a recap, I mean, I'm just so uh, you know, it, I'm heartened to be in the presence of what I think is just, I mean, the the personal qualities of that Bob Ray has. I just am constantly inspired by, and you know, we have not spoken in in a few years, and yet that is just so consistent. So I, um. I'm always humbled when I speak with him not just because of his his sort of on paper achievements those are those are obviously huge and when you were listing them I thought good lord <laughs> wow he's done a lot yeah but it really is the personal stuff that I I find the most um it seems weird to say that when when in the you know compared to such big accomplishments but it's almost like unbelievable to be so grounded and have so many yeah. accomplishments. So, it's anyway. the
0: inverse of, of what he was saying about meeting somebody with a great reputation. And then you learn that they're not that person. Whereas like mm-hmm. with him, he has a great reputation and then you meet him and it's like, Oh my gosh, you're even better than that. Like he is, he's elevated above somehow all of his accomplishments just with how wise and and grounded and humble and well-read and knowledgeable he is as a person and I, I like there's so many I'm I'm excited to pull quotes out of this podcast that to put up on our on our Instagram and Twitter feeds because he just launched so many pieces of, of wisdom at us today mm-hmm.
1: uh, my good is Bob Ray's book what happened what's happened in politics or what's happened to politics pardon me um, I've been reading it preparing for this this podcast just to understand what his thinking is on on issues and why why I think it's good is that it's from 2015 but very prescient on some of these issues that are now very much in the public eye and I learned a lot I mean you can hear from the podcast he's a student of history and he wrote very insightfully about some some historical things that I thought I knew about and didn't really like chamberlain and churchill and mm-hmm. Um, things that kind of he he makes jump off the page.
0: Yeah, it seems he's so grounded in uh, not only world history, but his own history. And as you said, always curious and always trying to improve himself. And I think that's, you know, I think very aligned with what we're trying to do on this podcast is get gather information from others and other sources and try to implement it into our own lives so we can, um, you know, constantly improve and get better and And as he said, don't get old just by not trying anymore. So uh, that's good. I have a gripe, if you would like to hear my gripe. Speaking of old. I would. Fax machines. (laughs) What is going on? Why do I still have to fax things? Do you still have to fax things? Or
1: people, you still have to fax. Do you have a fax?
0: I don't have a fax. That's part of the problem. Um, But like uh, I was, I had to send a document Uh, to the government this week. And, uh, and, and the only way you could serve it to them was via fax. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just, I don't understand why we still use fax machines. There are better ways to send information than this printer connected to a phone line. (laughs)
1: I have a funny fax machine story, and I, we're over time, so I will just suffice it to say that when I articled one of my friend's parents, and if she's listening to this podcast, and all of our friends know the story, it was sort of infamous. Um, she had a family member who sent her a fax machine so that they could communicate better. And I'm not that old. So (laughs) it wasn't that uh, email and such things were not in existence. It was that the preferred method of uh, family communication was fax. And this led to a truly endless number of jokes. So uh, fax machines have played a a funny role in my history. But now I mainly just delete references to fax communications in notice provisions. Get
0: it out of the notice provisions. Nobody uses them
1: search for facts, delete. That's what I do with my, with my documents. First thing but,
0: when you set an agreement to Darlene, great. First thing, no facts.
1: No Del- faxes. Well, it would so be a problem. Right. If someone, yeah. if the notice provision is fax, we are not receiving that. Right. <laughs> we don't even have a number for that. Nope. So anyway, um, this was great. I really appreciate it. I thought it was, uh, um, you know, great way to start the day and uh, get heading off into the weekend.
0: Okay. So, I guess we'll talk again next week. Sounds good. Talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.